Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Mulatala. So today on the podcast, I am delighted to welcome an outstanding woman. She's a mother, an entrepreneur, an ex-gymnast, a dancer, a choreographer, and now a breath coach. The name of this wonder woman is Aisha McKenzie. So Aisha and I met a few years ago when she joined our team to choreograph burlesque cabaret dancer artist Dita Von Teese for a recorded filmed performance that was to be turned into a hologram. Yeah, a project for Christian Louboutin for whom I was working for back then. And that was the keystone of an exhibition that was to launch at the London Design Museum. So while I was lucky to get to know Aisha a little, at the time I had no idea about her earlier career as a gymnast, or that later on she'd been responsible for choreographing 300 Olympic dancers during the London 2012 Olympic Games. So... In this interview, she tells me about her amazing story or her many lives, as she refers to it. We talk about her gymnastic and dance career, about not making it into the Olympics, about launching her first agency, AMCK. And we move to talking about the stress of managing it all, health scares, and how movement, breath, and allowing ourselves to slow down is so essential. This is a very beautiful, deep, intimate, and powerful interview. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Happy listening. Aisha, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Out of the Clouds. Amazing. Thank you for having me, Anne. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to see your face. I know. It's been a while <laughs> and very different circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think, where were we when we saw each other last? And I think it was in Miami. I think it was in Miami too. That was yeah. exactly what came up for me. I was like, no, we were in Miami. I remember it kind of being dusk, sunset, and we were like on the beach. And yeah. Yeah. And that was such a fateful coincidence as well. Yes. And it makes us sound like global jet setters and to a certain extent we were mm -hmm. <laughs> back then it's kind of phenomenal and it's funny because I try to remember where did we meet for the first time and there's a part of me that is almost blanking the first time we met and I'll tell you why I had a feeling that I knew you before I knew you okay so it, it's a very strange thing when I was trying to think about that I was like there's a part of me that felt I always knew Aisha. And from the moment I met you, I was like, oh, but of course it's Aisha. <laughs> As if I had downloaded a sort of a <laughs> years of, of friendship. <laughs> you caught onto one of my many lives. <laughs> yeah, possibly. So one of the ways I like to start the podcast is actually not to focus on what people do or the projects they have or the work they do, but really for them to talk about their story freely and Start wherever you want and, and tell us who you are and where you're from. Sure. I'm Aisha McKenzie. I do love my name. Very good <laughs> Such name. Such a funny thing. It's I really love my name. I'm Aisha McKenzie. I'm born in South London. And I've grown up and lived in London all my life. And I want to say it's humble beginnings, but I don't think it's even that. It was circumstance. So my mother arrived from Jamaica when she was 
just a young girl and came over essentially not really with her family. She had some aunties, had a tough time, but in true Mackenzie spirit, really kind of carved out and made what she could make for her life. I have an older brother and there was me and, you know, we grew up in South London and she somehow navigated life. She finessed it. That is what it is. She finessed it in order to get me into places and spaces that would give me the opportunities. I started doing gymnastics training and I was seven when I started. And by the time I was 10, I was on the, on the British national team. And so gymnastics became my entire childhood. I was doing rhythmic gymnastics. So that's the one with the ribbon and the ball and the beautiful and graceful dancey one. And I traveled the world and started competing and I was the junior British champion when I was 13. So that was like a really big deal. It was a big deal, obviously, for me. It was a huge deal for my mum. And I think it was a, just a big deal for young black girls everywhere because there had never been, there was no black gymnasts really globally mm. and, and not champions. And so it wasn't what you were used to seeing and that the idea of representation wasn't, it wasn't a thing then. And I remember being in the newspaper and my mom just had tears streaming down her face and I was so confused. And she was just like, you know, this is amazing. I really have that imprint. So no, I was doing gymnastics, traveling the world, being the champion. I was in school Again, she finessed her way into having me sit a scholarship exam for a private girls' school in, in London. And, and I got a place and I had this space and then that was all paid for. They championed me doing the gymnastics as well. So it was just kind of school and gym on the teenage parties. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember, you know, hitting a phase and being absolutely so frustrated and kind of devastated you know because then after a while you then you don't even get invited and that thing as a teenager when you're not getting invited it's just like life is ending I have a teenage son Uh, I've been through it again (laughs) and gymnastics was the focus and I carried on competing the goal of course was the Olympics Mm. and got to 18 you do like trials throughout a certain season so you get ranked and I was ranked right in the right spot. All were going good for the whole season, whole season, whole season. And then there's one competition, which is like the actual qualifier. And I didn't qualify. So then there I was at 18, having worked my entire life for this one goal of going to the Olympics. I can't imagine. And it didn't happen. And if I look back on it now, I must have definitely gone into a kind of shock response. I didn't really let myself process it. I was just like, okay, right. That's not happening. What are we doing? (laughs) This is what we're doing. We're dancing. Okay. Off we go. Started on this dancing journey. And even that, again, I'm training. I have this beautiful, beautiful dance teacher. He was American, but he was teaching at Pineapple Studios in London. And so I was doing jazz. And basically I started to dance in the final years of my gymnastics career to help that process and there was a turning point in in what I was doing when I was competing because 
Ah. I was already different. So I was the only black girl on the world circuit, you know. Mm-hmm. I would like, they would give me the exotic prize. No <laughs> way. Yeah. Oh man. There was every microaggression and, uh, and then sometimes, you know, just like straight up racism. And again, it wasn't a thing that I was allowing to kind of hurt me or even penetrate. It was, I'm going to use my difference for my advantage. And what I can really do is I can choose my music and I can work into a style that just feels like it's totally my self-expression. So I started to take these, um, these classes at Pineapple with various teachers. And one of the teachers was like, after the gymnastics, dance is an Im- incredible path for you. And I'd seen Alvin Ailey and that blew my mind. I was like, yes, I'm going to go and be an Alvin Ailey dancer. <laughs> so if I went to New York and I was going to go study at Juilliard and I took the exam for Juilliard and I got a place and everything was amazing. And they stopped doing foreign scholarships in that wow. year. And so then that was just like, okay, that's not the dream anymore. Mum was like, okay, you got to find a, find a school in England. <laughs> I was like, I was going to the Juilliard. I mean, I mean, after what? Juilliard is like, what? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Where do you go from there? Exactly. Well, where I went was Lane's Theatre Art School in Epsom, Surrey, where Poshbex was no. studying. Yeah, that was where she graduated from. And you know, it was all a big story. So I went there and I went for one term and I was out. (laughs) I was like, this isn't for me. Thanks. Bye. And to be honest, the principal, she was like, honestly, you can learn on the way. Crack on. Off you go. And, um, you know, kind of gave me her blessing to just go out into the industry and try. And that's what I did. And again, it's like using my difference. What can I do to get myself on a dance job? Oh, I can tell them I do gymnastics and that's going to, that's going to get me in. So I started dancing and every job you'd see me, I'd be like spinning the ribbon around whatever show it was, <laughs> there was Aisha with a ribbon or there was Aisha doing, you know, a back flip across the stage or whatever it was. I used that to get myself in and learn my craft. And then I was, became a really, really good commercial dancer, danced with all the incredible <laughs> boy bands and, and things of the era. And it was great. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved being on stage. I loved just being in this, in this kind of thing that was ever changing and meeting new people. And again, this very much this space of self-expression. I had a lovely career in dance and then mm. it pivoted and I went into choreography. <laughs> and I guess that's about the time where we met. Mm. It's always been there's definitely a thread that has always been about movement. There's a thread that's always been about self-expression. And there's definitely a thread where I think I was trying to find me, except I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was what was going on because there was an outside confidence and yet sometimes in a really deep insecurity. I didn't recognize it. I think that's what it was. I didn't recognize it. And certainly nobody recognized mm. it in me. It was like, Aisha is, I always got the question, how do you do it all? Like, you're just so mm. fearless. You're so confident. You can just do everything. You know, no one recognized my insecurities at all. When did you first come across this part of yourself? I think as I moved more and more into business, I thought there was a set of rules that I needed to follow. I thought I needed to be a certain person or a certain type of way. So when I, 
open the company and I thought I had to be the CEO. What does that mean? It certainly doesn't look like I do, you know, doesn't perhaps act as I do. It needs to be more something else. And I think the more, you know, the more successful the business became, actually the more insecure that I became. So it wasn't working in the other, well, okay, it's working. So I'm doing it right. It was like, ah, it's working. It's getting bigger and I'm getting smaller in it. I'm losing myself because I'm finding that I'm trying to be all of these things for all of these different people and losing myself. You know, we know the world of fashion. We know the world of, (laughs) of, um, you know, of entertainment, Mm. of judgment and real power plays and hierarchy in a really warped sense. And yeah, I just, just like playing some strange game. Mm. I wasn't enjoying it and loving everything. I really was. And the change, I guess, being really devoted to doing the work that I'm doing now didn't come from a, oh, that was awful. (laughs) And this Mm -hmm. is great. It really wasn't. I really don't think that about the space. Yeah, there's like stuff that was just really off key, (laughs) so many layers. But even my burnout just wasn't, it wasn't really to do with that. It wasn't to do with that it's this really toxic environment that I'm not being able to navigate. It wasn't, it was, um, you know, it was really just me losing and losing and losing myself because Mm. just didn't know what part of me people wanted. So I just was trying to be all sorts of different things. Mm. And losing yourself in, yeah. in so doing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. How long ago was the burnout? Rock Bottom was 2018. And it was really a combination of a lot of different things. I had been thinking about this idea of the new business of in wellness and how to bring this practice and how to help everybody else I saw out there who were struggling. And can we bring mindful moments into our space and bring them into our workplaces? Can we bring them on set? Can we bring them backstage? Can I be the person? And I guess actually the pioneer to be able to do that for our industry. And I started with fashion and, and, and the entertainment industries because they're the spaces that I know. And also the, they're all clients who have had a, long relationship with me and so then trusted me so when I was like oh you know can we come and do um some breathing or just have a moment of I wasn't even saying meditation at the time that would have been really like what (laughs) we'll do moving meditation we're doing yoga and uh, you know offering gradually offering more and more holistic I mean it was always holistic but it became more and more okay for it to be just what it was, which is now why it's so wild because I'm like, well, that's why now it's really the focus is on, on the breath because that's cutting away everything else, every kind of barrier to us being able to do something like we're going to sit and breathe. You don't need to change your clothes. You don't need to go into a separate thing. You can have your eyes open. You can have your eyes closed, whatever it is. You know, mm. Everybody can take that moment. But anyway, so we were... You know, I was like, 
this is going to be a wonderful thing to help all of these people and, and, and friends and colleagues and to help everybody de-stress <laughs> because I'm fine, clearly. <laughs> clearly, absolutely fine. Clearly, I'm fine. It's everybody else out there. I have this image and it's always so clear. I guess this was probably about 2016 and I'm sitting at the sofa in my, in my office and I'm saying to Catherine, who I work with, we've really developed Breathe by MCK together. And I'm sitting with her and I'm like, everybody has these stories. Like all these people in this, you know, wellness and, and fitness and all these people in this space, they have these like incredible stories. They're these like incredibly strong people who've overcome these massive circumstances. And then this is almost led them to their purpose. And I don't have anything like, why am I, I don't know if I, feel, I don't know if I feel qualified. I'm, I'm so, so qualified for all of these. I've done so many courses, I've done so much study and I love it. But I remember just sitting there like, oh, because I don't have this big story that I overcame. And, and then that gives me the right to be able to help people overcome their things. <laughs> and she was looking <laughs> at me like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to say anything. And she just sat there and literally didn't say anything. <laughs> and then, then when the whole crash came, she's like, yeah, remember when you were saying that? <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, she lost her mother at that age. And she <laughs> then. And the grief and the loss and the trauma upon trauma upon trauma, actually, that I have overcome in my life, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the fainting, heart palpitations, the ending up in hospital, like I, it's all part of my story. It's all part of really what my body has been going through for such a long time. And I was not listening. And in fact, no, it can't have been that Miami trip, but there was another Miami trip um, around that same Art Basel period. And I arrived in Miami. And on day one, fainted. I was like, oh my goodness, what's happened? Maybe I'm jet lagged. Kind of got myself round. But it's, of course, I did it in the middle of the hotel lobby and everybody, it was a big deal. <laughs> so they, I understand. I've fainted before. It's yeah. never really where you want it to not, happen when it not, does. Yeah, it's not discreet. Yeah. yeah. And so, of course, they called the ambulance and then I'm sitting there with, with the medics. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I just don't. I just arrived. It's jet lag. I'm just probably a bit feeling a bit woo woo. I'm fine. And as I'm saying this, they're like, okay. And then I boom, <laughs> drop again. So by this point now, I'm like whisked off into the ambulance. Lights are flashing. I'm driving through Miami. I don't know, something's going on with my heart. I'm like in, I'm feeling like I'm in a movie. I was like, I'm in CSI Miami. That's what it is. This is <laughs> and like, I guess we're going to see the snow and the, you know, the rage sat and all the things out <laughs> and they're shouting it all out on the radio. And I was like, oh, okay, right, this is what's happening. And I arrive into the hospital and I am in there for three days. No having, way. Yeah. Having extensive tests, you know, there's stuff going on with my heart. They're trying to diagnose me. It's super scary. And it actually was a crash. Hmm. It was a mental crash that oh. was causing my body to stop hmm. and shut down. Wow. And again, I didn't understand that. Well, 
I want to say this is not the kind of stuff that people talk a lot about. So not knowing when we don't talk about mental health challenges, what happens is there's a, most of us go around life not understanding what's going on. <laughs> and I think it's wonderful that you're able to talk about it today because I'm looking at you thinking, I didn't go through exactly the same thing, but I mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. there's been a couple of moments where I had to go into an MRI and yeah. that there was a thing with the heart. and Exactly. And did I listen to my body at all of that throughout that time? I was trying, mm-hmm. but I'd never known how to. Yes, and you also don't know it's important. Yeah. So what happened next? How did you feel and what happened after you got out? I, (laughs) another funny story. I ended up getting out of the hospital because we essentially bribed the nurse with tickets to some big fancy celebrity party. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) And she was like, okay, if you pass this one thing that I had to do, like uh, blood pressure or whatever else, she was like, okay, if you pass this one thing, then um, I'll mark it down and you can, they'll discharge you. It's like, great. And you get to go to the party and we're all good. So <laughs> that's how I got out. But they gave me, you know, a heart condition diagnosis. and was like, you need to go straight to the UK, straight into the hospital and let them, you know, start your treatment. So I came back, went to the hospital. They did the test again. They were like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, right. Nothing. Like we cannot see one single thing. So meanwhile, I'm in hospital for three days. I was having treatment even then for another five days while I was out there. I was on all this medication and I get back a week later and there's, they can't see anything. They, there's literally nothing wrong with me. Like, ah, uh, okay. That's the thing I can recognize now is of course what is happening is it is real at the time. So when you feel like you're having a heart attack, it's because that's really like, it's not that you're really having a heart attack, but the symptoms are the same. Your heart palpitations, your heart racing, all the, the sweating, dizziness, dizzy spells, that's all happening. And it can come and go as fast as your mind mm. can process it of course I didn't know that at the time so that was 2012 Mm -hmm. so I went through back to normal back to the racing around and all the rest of it yeah and then by 2018 you know I was literally thinking I was having these heart attacks all the time I'm not connecting the things together because I haven't I haven't still not diagnosed for myself what was that that happened then I was just like okay it was a thing that happened I don't know it's weird, but hey, not really looked in, you know, not even thought about it. And, and so then I'm back on the um, heart monitor for a week and exactly doing the MRI. I'm convinced I've got heart disease. I'm convinced I'm dying. And, and my mum died when she was 53. Really young. Yeah, really young. And I was 20. Um, I mean, it was, her passing was just devastating in my life. Devastating. Of course. But thing on it now is that you know I'm 45 now and then I'm going am I gonna last Mm. to where she got to and am I gonna continue and have a long life and maybe not because maybe I'm gonna get sick she actually died really peacefully in her sleep oh wow she had a blood clot in her brain when when I was probably about five and 
had brain surgery. And this surgery, like it's like 95%, you're not going to survive the surgery. She survived the surgery. She always spoke about having a really clear out-of-body experience and just being out and looking back at her body and seeing her best friend and, and the doctor and herself and going, no, no, I can't. It's not the time. And I need to be there for the children. And she didn't let herself go. She always spoke of that. And when she did pass, it was really after a moment, it would just, you know, it happened like from one day to the next. So that, that operation gave her, gave her epilepsy. Mm. So she just had like really kind of, I guess it was peaceful fit in the night and they just took her out. So it was really sudden. It wasn't that she was ill. It wasn't, sure. it wasn't that we had to go through this kind of lead up to losing somebody. And so now, and especially with the heart thing, they're like, okay, well, the tumor is a clot, not tumor, the clot is essentially cardiovascular. So anything that's going on with your heart could potentially be really dangerous and linked to what, you know, is in your family history. Sure. And so I'm like freaking out. I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I'm not, I'm not going to make it. You know, and then my chest is like, like, is my head spinning out? And my chest is like really tight. And I'm like, you Aww. see, I'm, I'm going, oh, <laughs> you know, but obviously totally convinced. And meanwhile, I'm running all these companies. I'm smashing out life. You would never <laughs> tell that this was even a remote thing. Mm. You know, the outside in looks really different. Yikes. Yeah. It took me, um, it took me to hit the bottom with a combination of, a lot of stuff um, to go, okay, we need to do things differently. And anyway, if this is a trigger for me, if this is something that I, that is making me feel not safe, then I have to change things in order to feel safe, in order to protect my peace, in order to have things move through my system. I always speak about emotion, energy, emotion, like have it move through me so that they don't get stuck so I don't end up with the clots so I so I survive Mm, yeah you just reminded me I don't know whether you've heard of trauma response and how animals respond to trauma but one of the things that's been studied is that when an animal gets attacked or is on the verge on the brink of death they often play dead so everything's going to shut down they collapse and to the naked eye they look like they, they've passed away. And once the danger exits the, the surroundings, yeah. you'll see them get up and suddenly shake, shake everything from head to toe. Yeah. And I heard there's a beautiful book out there by Emily and Amelia Nagoski, two sisters called Burnout. Mm. And I mean, they, there are many sort of fascinating therapists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and doctors that have been studying this. One of the ways that human beings have forgotten how to deal with strong emotion is that we can get rid of the energy and we need to learn how to. And so somatic response, experiencing and dance, and I don't know how many different kind of modalities are out there, but it's a really interesting thing for people to look into. And it just reminded me that I try to remind myself to shake regularly. Because it's one of the things that you do. Like you just like. Exactly. Shake it out. Shake, literally shake it out. Yeah. And 
For people who are listening, thinking we're crazy, next time you have an argument with someone or you feel really frustrated, mm. walk into the kitchen, close the door and let yourself shake uncontrollably for a minute. Yeah. Check in with yourself and see the difference. It's a massive difference. That's why I said this thread actually is movement. The thread is movement. It's a vital, vital part of our practice mm. to stay healthy. You've got to let the things move through. They've got to move. They've got to move on out. We were so good at a species at not letting go. Yes. <laughs> I mean, or is it just me speaking for myself? I don't know. No, 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 no. You are, you know, you're right there with everyone. I talk about it all the time when I'm like, exhale and let it go. And I'm like, <laughs> I know it sounds easy. I don't know. It's so hard, but that's why we have to practice it. And you, and you put it in everywhere. So of course it's not actually going to be exhale and let go of all of the shit that you've been holding on to. But incrementally, yes, it does. You mm. can have this intention and start moving things out. Mm. Just going layer by layer by, by layer back into finding, finding you, connecting with you. That is what it is. It's about the connection to yourself. Mm. But what is essential below everything you're saying is, first of all, recognizing. Yes. <laughs> letting yourself see where you are without denial, which I see so many of us, me included, at previous times. How can we let go of things we don't even realize we're holding on to? Exactly. How can we let things move through when we pretend nothing's happened? I know a couple of people who are really, really good at comp compartmentalizing mm -hmm. and I'm very worried about what kind of life they're building for themselves. I was exactly that person. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Like there was some stuff that I had buried so deeply. I didn't know that it existed. And I think actually as I... I was falling apart. I had fallen apart, I guess. And I did a meditation training. And so this meditation training, started doing Vedic med meditation twice a day, got super into my practice and started to become more aware. And that's just, just really general awareness of everything. And as I started to let go, the space started to open and I was then suddenly confronted with, whoa, where was that? <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's why they say that the work is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Sure. Before it gets, it's, it's dark and it's, it can be dark. It can be messy. And actually, the thing is, we all hold trauma. So it isn't that you're trying to pinpoint this big horrendous thing that happened in your past. We all experience things in different ways. So things are not comparable. I could not agree with you more. I always say you can't grade people's suffering. Exactly. It's not, we can't compare ourselves and we just have to hold that knowledge that everyone will experience great loss and great difficulty yes. in their own ways. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. You know, you, as you start to allow yourself to slow down, you start to have, you know, you're just giving yourself space for awareness. So busy, busy being busy, busy being distracted. 
distracted, 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 not trying to, no, no, and let's not look at that. Let's not give ourselves time to, you know, get into things. But it's so freeing, mm. so much freedom on the other side, really. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had a chance to study any philosophy, but when I was a high school, I studied a famous French philosopher called Blaise Pascal. And I only know the saying in French, but essentially one of his greatest sort of uh, contributions as a philosopher was to say that man cannot be alone with his thoughts. And that's why man needs distraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and obviously it's fascinating to look at Blaise Pascal now with a lens of mindfulness or with, yeah. with a lens of as a yoga teacher and someone who continuously studies because I realized he was among many others he was ahead of his time it's the yeah. hardest thing is for us to actually be with what is and letting it go yeah. <laughs> and somehow we're all running around pretending that's not actually our life's work or part of our mission let's say and he was definitely right with them, um, man. I think I think women. Are, I think women are um, uh-huh. better at it. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> I I would think so too. But it, it's interesting because I'd like to tie this back with when do you feel? Because earlier you mentioned that you were splitting yourself sideways. To, mm. You were being all these different people. You were bringing out these different facets of yourself and not being yourself. So. When do you feel you got to reconnect with that sense of self? Beginning of 2019. And what was the process that sort of unlocked that connection? Yeah, I went to Bali and did a training. It's not the point I was in Bali. <laughs> I get that. I, do you know what I mean? I, think <laughs> I know what a, you mean. <laughs> you know, and I went and did it. I was sitting in the jungle. No, it was the training. <laughs> that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I... I wanted to do, and it was funny. It was funny how it even arrived to me. So I wanted to do another yoga teacher training and I had a specific window that I could go in January and I wanted to find something that was, that fit. I wanted to go somewhere far so that I wouldn't be distracted and I wouldn't be in life because my first yoga training I did in London. I did it in London. I did it at Spring Studios Oh, <laughs> Do you know, it, oh it, that's it, a it bit too like, close to it, home. It so close to home. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone listening, Spring Studios is where we, um, <laughs> we shot that famous hologram. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, okay, I need to do another training and go do it. And I had to fit into this window. And I was literally just Googling stuff. And up came this woman and she was talking and she just had these fabulous earrings on and she just looked amazing. I didn't really look very much into what she was teaching but I was like yeah I'm gonna go on your course oh my god that's crazy okay keep going I'll tell you my story after (laughs) and um got on the plane and and I literally like signed on to the course like maybe a week before so I wouldn't didn't do any of the reading or any of the stuff like just about got a book and I was like yin yoga I don't even know what that is never even done it before but whatever that's what I'm gonna go and study so I found myself on this it was yin and traditional Chinese medicine and I've always worked, the a doctor who's worked on my body since I was 12, I believe, since my gymnastics days, is still my same doctor now. He works through, I can't even name, he's an osteopath, but he works mm. with so many different modalities. He's also a, um, a herbal doctor, creates tinctures for me and has done throughout my life. Um, so I was always interested in that. 
acupuncture, this kind of stuff. I had acupuncture to conceive. That's another story. But um, off I went and I was like on this course. And I don't really know what yin is, but then we'll have a look at that. And I started to go into the training and I was like, oh, this is slow down. <laughs> the whole circle of this is stillness, slowing down. And that is 100% what my life needs. And I have to radically change my life in order for the heart, in order. And that, you know, just the teachers were just wisdoms I'd never, just hadn't even come close to. And so although I had done these trainings before and although I was qualified in so many different ways, just the, the essence of, but we need to find this stillness, I had missed totally. And yeah, over that time, I had big, big breakthroughs, came back and was changed, like fundamentally changed and went really deep into that space. And then, of course, the next year was lockdown. So it was a, just a continuation of, sure. of, oh, yeah, but this is, you know, it's again, it's that thing like you are absolutely where you're supposed to be at any given moment when you're okay with what is. So, well, of course. Absolutely. We- and not wanting to sound woohoo for those who are um, not yoga study inclined. But one of the ways that one of my teachers likes to say it is surrender to grace, surrender. Yes. Okay. Yes. Be with what is and surrender, let go. Or as Eckhart Tolle would say, oh, what was the saying that at the beginning of his book? Resist nothing. Yes. That's the opener phrase. Yes. And I'm just in the middle of reading his book, but it's so funny because he started that and I'm like, oh, I have so much resistance in me. But yeah, just um, accepting that this is how we are and every day we get and every minute we can learn to relax, release, accept, surrender. Well, because that's where suffering lies. Suffering is just the non-acceptance of what is. Yeah. If you're not resisting it and it is what it is, there's nothing to be upset about, nothing to moan about, nothing to... So it's just okay because it, it is what it is. And I'm not trying for it to be something different. Mm. Yeah. And so I started really on that journey and, and everything came. My practice totally changed. Um, how I guided changed. How I it didn't change. It just got back to being me. Got back to being me. So it became really with my heart about authenticity and helping people, helping guide people back to their own. And it became about meeting yourself where you're at and moving at your own pace and not this idea of perfection that I had previously been striving to, striving to get to. Mm. That's interesting because that ties back with the gymnastics background in my mind. Yes, 100%. And I listened to a couple of interviews of, of yours before drafting some of my questions. And so I heard you with that wonderful podcaster and fitness trainer, Adrian something, something. I uh, can't remember her last name. Herbert. But it was, yes, exactly. And who I didn't realize, but was signed with yes. your agency, which yes. is such an amazing loop. But I remember about the concept of the power hour, you were describing your movement practice in the morning and you said that you were still trying to free yourself. 
yeah. from the rigor and the precision or the perfection of following a specific kind of training yes. and letting yourself move. And, and that stuck with me because I know how old you were, of course, when you let that go. And yeah. so the, the arc feels like, and you said just now you feel like you're letting this go. Yeah. I am. Um, it's funny because I, <laughs> actually now my, my body is craving again some discipline in its training because I genuinely went, whoa, got to go away from this sure. to be able to come back over for sure. You know? I'm getting aches and pains and things, which is because actually, you know, my muscles need some alignment and some strength and you can't just do all because <laughs> my back's, you know, I have to look after a, um, an ancient gymnast body. Mm. So with all of the things it needs, it does need to be trained, which, which I haven't done for, for years now because the practice has just been different. It's been about slowing down. It's been about my breath and just moving as I feel. And that might be a kind of, if you want to label it, some kind of all fours cat cow, which lends to a stretch and then me lying down for half an hour, you know? And it's, that has been, that's been the key to allow whatever, whatever my breath is giving me and guiding me into um, the, was funny. I spoke to Adrienne as soon as I'd got back from, from Bali. I think it was oh, one wow. of the first podcasts that I did when I got back. And, you know, I was, I was different. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's really what there's to say. And, and, you know, we were talking about life and business and all of the things. And I, I, I you know, remember being at a quite, quite straddled place because, you know, this strict discipline that you need to have, you know, even like the concept of the power hour. And I do wake early and I do start my day with ritual and that needs, you know, it needs structure and discipline. But I was just moving really away from this thing. So I was just like at the part of just being straddled in the, in the two moments, not yet fully committed to the slowing down. Mm-hmm. I, I hear <laughs> Wanting you. Wanting to do it, but I was like, yeah, no, but actually <laughs> get stuff done. <laughs> it's so interesting you should say that. Yes. So starting and not always going to your 100%. Yes being with where you're at. There's a great saying that I remember someone saying to me, yoga will meet you where you are. Yes. Not where you want to be. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Practice is Mm. something that um, has different layers, but I think the one thing that is instrumental is that it becomes part of your everyday. And the reason why I just love working with the breath is because it is about allowing that pause to exist, allowing yourself to literally take a breath. You know, like with yoga, like there's never ending point to the pose, right? Like you're, ne- you're never going to get there. Actually, you know, with, a, with the breath practice and, the, and especially with what I'm sharing, we're just learning a technique or techniques to be built into our life to cope and feel good and it's simple and it's and it's this simplicity that we understand how powerful this simplicity is and how much of a difference it can make 
I am absolutely blown away by our community, like the little breathe gang. Shout out to you if you're listening. <laughs> but it's just such an incredible community of people who have like changed their lives from doing a simple daily breathing practice. So this is not, you know, I'm not doing deep dive work through this breath work, not, not what I share you know, on a daily. But it's the small, simple things that make such a difference. And it's the same with everything. And so while we're racing, hop, skipping and jumping, cartwheeling, backflipping <laughs> to find this best life that's over there somewhere that you're running to get to, you're just missing that, like the power and the small magic. So tell me about what kind of breath practice you studied and, and what can people learn with you if they join you live? Mm. So I studied, the first, the first part of, that I studied was essentially um, a comprehensive training, breath coach training. So it wasn't one particular style. So it isn't like it isn't Wim Hof or it isn't holotropic or like a specific style like that. But I have, I guide 21 different techniques. Each breath has a different use. And there, there are techniques you do in the morning that are better for the morning. One's better for the evening. One's that are anytime. One's that will energize you. And the program that I have, um, there are three essentially courses, Balance, Reset and Energize. A 30-day program, you have different techniques and within that um, video practices that you follow, um, journal prompts, music, it's, you know, it's all, everything is there for you to take your own journey with it. Um, and then you have live classes as well every Sunday. And I love that training in particular um, because it's you want to be able to grab hold of different things at different times and yeah this has kind of given me and gives people a toolkit to grab what they need at the time I've also then done um, breath work uh, circular breathing training and so that is I guess I would say it is deeper stronger um, practice and it can sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable in terms that sensations in your body, sensations in your hand, you know, your jaw can get locked, you're breathing in and out through your mouth. Whereas the other practices that I'm really sharing on a, you know, on a day to day, it's breathing through your nose and the kind of technique techniques that live in your life rather than the practice that you go to do. But I, I really love that too. And I love actually very much combining both things. So, you know, we'll kind of set the nervous system in motion a bit. You know, if we're going to do, if we're going to do a circular breath, set it in motion and then go into really deep relaxation. The breathing practices, it's all working on parasympathetic nervous system. It's the, the system that's going, okay, it's okay. You can calm down. You can rest. Your cells can reproduce. This is on a cellular level doing the work. And, you know, people are out there and you're taking your supplements and you're doing all of these things. Unless your cells are healthy and vibrating, nothing, nothing can move. It is not in flow. If your body's not in flow, then of course you're not in flow. 
Yeah, we need oxygen. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, like, it's as simple as that. And so that's what's quite mind-blowing, why we don't have this education yet. We don't have an education around breath. And we don't have an education that it's just so important. And yet, it's the one thing you can't live without. You cannot live without your breath for Mm. more than seconds. Did you ever hear Russell Brand in conversation with this guy called James Nestor, who wrote a book called Breath. Breath, yes, yes. I can't listen to his podcast because it's beyond a paywall for the UK only, and I'm in Switzerland. But I heard the 15 minutes that was on Apple um, iTunes. And you know what he said, which I thought was so mind-blowing and probably so right. You know why not everyone knows this right now and is doing it everywhere? Mm -hmm. Because it's not something that can be commoditized and sold. Exactly. So the only reason why we're not consuming and, and, and adepts of breath the same way that we are your favorite brand of chips, chocolate yeah. or soda is because no one's selling it to us essentially. And uh, yeah, so I was wondering about this because I've been an adept of pranayama. So the, the yogic style of breathing for yes. a while. I remember a time of crisis in my life where my coach, who happens to be an ex-Buddhist monk, is well versed in a number of Panayama practices. And so he got me into what is called Nodi Shodana, which is the yes. alternate nostril breathing, exactly. which I think is the most effective way to diffuse tension and the quickest way to calm down my, my system. But recently I've been doing every day a combination of different yogic breaths um, taught by a Kundalini teacher. So I do yes. it every morning. It's 20 minutes. And first, like you say, we trigger the sympathetic nervous system by doing breath of fire and then mm-hmm. we cool it down and then we hamp it up again and, and then cool it down again. And you know what I thought was fascinating that I thought you'd enjoy on a very simple physical level. If I meditate in my cross-legged seat on the pillow that I bought that I like looking at the view that I like and sit in that position for 20 minutes. And I'm very, very flexible. So I don't need to stretch before I Mm -hmm. sit. Within 15, 20 minutes, I'll start having pins and needles. Mm -hmm. If I sit and for the same amount of time do breath work, there is no pins and needles because simply fluidly speaking, my blood is is flowing differently than if I was just sat. Exactly. And it's, it's fascinating because I now will do everything I can to make sure I have at least 20 minutes of breath every morning because it actually just energetically changes even my mood. I am not the same person before and after. The amazing thing about it is it is, it's a hack. It's a hack straight into stillness totally. if you want to be still. Mm. It's a hack straight into your energy. If you're like, I got to get up and go and actually I have a couple of minutes, it allows you to just diffuse what is going on. Mm. And it allows you to bring something up too. I talk about this idea of this burning ember, this burning ember that we have inside ourselves, and we always have this energy. It's always there. Even when we're feeling really low, it's always there. And just like with a fire, what you do to a fire, what you do to an ember, you blow on it. It needs the air. It needs the oxygen in order to spark, in order to go. And that's really it. Our bodies just need this. And I love it. You've got your three hours. And I'm like, yes, gel. <laughs> 10 minutes of breath. That's actually all you need to 
really make a scientific change, you know, that's what they have proven. And so it's, there isn't an excuse, you know, when mm. we talk about this barrier to people doing things, and oh, I'm not going to go to yoga, I've got to change, I've got time, I've got to drive there, I've got a thing. All of the things, it's like, okay, this is 10 minutes. And if we're not finding 10 minutes in our life, we're doing life wrong. I know. But you know what? I was thinking about this. I'm literally writing exactly about this today. So I'll send the email to you later. Because I'd listened to one of your interviews before I started reading the email. <laughs> you know, you said to Adrienne, the reason why you started FIT, AMCK FIT, is because you know that when things start to accelerate, the first thing people drop is self-care. Yes. Whatever self-care means to you. So man, woman, child, like everybody's got different things that they do. But that's what we drop because we have this conflict internally about what must I do first? What is the priority? And my own experience was that throughout life, it was drilled into me mm-hmm. that work comes first. Mm-hmm. Deliver work, be the best. And I, I wasn't, it wasn't drilled into me in a mean way by my parents, right? So I, I don't feel like I'm traumatized around it, mm-hmm. but it was shown to me that was the example. At least I wasn't in New York or in the US in general, where they have this crazy work ethic that you have to be at your desk at seven, leave at 10, even if you're not productive, just to show that yeah. you're in the office. But for those of us who work really hard, and who deliver throughout, we also just give too much out and forget that it has to start with the choices to look after ourselves first. Yes, absolutely. So I heard you speak beautifully about how you went into management having seen what bad management looked like Mm -hmm. and that you were already quite vocal when you were on Mm -hmm. set with people and you quite like to go up and you know, make things right when you saw things being done the wrong way. So I understand that you always had this idea of caring for people that were in the vicinity and particularly looking after the talent, the models, the dancers, the choreographers that you hired. I understand that you've moved into a more holistic style of management. Could you speak to me about that? Yeah, it's like, I think that it was always there, but we were also building. And so like you said, it's this idea of that is how things are. And so even though I was doing things differently as much as I could and doing them differently internally, I was still having to bend, twist myself into positions or into ways that people would find acceptable. Um, In order to get a lot of the the talent seen and definitely heard, I needed to do it in ways that felt palatable to what was already happening. And so I was, you know, that was, that was our, that was our journey. It was a lot of Mm. like, you know, we're kind of going a little bit around the side door, but we've made it. And now it's like, no, this is what we do and this is how we do it. Mm. And actually, if you don't like it, this whole how we move is just not for you. And mm. so it's now for the talent, for the culture. That is absolutely 100% how I'm moving now with everything. It trickles through every part of, of how we look after people. It's them first. How we look after the culture, how, what we represent, how other people are representing that. I take that, like if briefs come in and they just feel off key, it's like, hey, I'm 
come, no. <laughs> and not only is it no that we're not going to partake in it, I'm going to tell you about it. Sure. So that you can change. And, and just for people to just really feel that they are looked after, that they've got a family. It's always been about that. But, you know, I think more than ever, I think it was really hard a few years. Not I think. I know it was a really hard few years. And I, for us to still be here on the other side of it is no mean feat. I don't take that lightly, but it's just made me more kind of determined to make sure that I can always be there creating the path and holding the door open so that, you know, these incredible young people that we work with are in a space to do things how they want to do things, can, can see themselves, can inspire other people um, and, and have that confidence and have the confidence to be able to, to go out there and know that we've got them and yeah. we will, that we will look after them in, in, in every way that we can. And, and I've, just, I've just started a, a legacy project now um, so that this... You know, it's it's very much a commitment of what we want to do. You know, I think we've made a massive, massive contribution and I don't want it to just go away or Mm. get somehow paved over when, if, Mm -hmm. I say if, let's hope this is not a when, (laughs) if people decide that this is not a thing anymore. Mm. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay, we've we've done with all that inclusivity and, you know, (laughs) diversity. Yeah, it's not a thing. Just kind of like, no. So, yeah. That sounds wonderful. I'm glad that you used the words, have the door open, because I feel like listening to you, reading about the work that your company um, has been doing and, and hearing some of the stories around the talent that you helped blossom, you've helped a lot of incredible people, mm-hmm. including Adrian that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. who seems like such a talent and a joy to listen to. I was hearing you speak about FK Twigs and so many others. Knowing that you've contributed so much to other people, is there any advice that you could offer to anyone who's perhaps struggling on their path towards a a mode of creative self-expression? Yeah. thing that is the most incredible gift that you have is the fact that you are like nobody else. And so all of the work, all of the work in, in its entirety is about the connection to yourself. Because with that true connection to yourself, then comes out your you as your authentic self. And that's what people will be attracted to, will gravitate towards. It's not trying to be like somebody else, not trying to follow a certain path that somebody else has, has taken. Everybody's journeys are totally different. So really, honestly, there's just no point in looking right and left because you're missing your own, you're missing your own street. And on your street is going to be potholes and <laughs> things that you're going to trip over and, you know, you're going to get blown along the way. And so it's important that, you're, that, you, that your focus is forwards. I heard um, an incredible choreographer, Luam, um, saying the other day, it's not only forwards, it's forwards and up, right? I like that. It's like face that's the sun. beautiful, <laughs> forwards and up. Forwards and up, right? Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, you know, that, that's what I would say. Stand there, look at yourself. You know, sometimes we go into um, 
who go into a room and, and moan and audition and dancers, I see them not really looking at themselves in the mirror. There is a disconnect. Like they, they can't even stand in the mirror and be with themselves. So that's where the work is. It's not on the dance steps. Who cares? Oh, that's such a great metaphor in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like we're going to have to have a second conversation because I still want to ask you and talk to you about all the other things that were on that, <laughs> on, that, on that note sheet that I've prepared. Perhaps what I could first go towards, because the podcast is like me, at the crossroads between business mm-hmm. and, and a practice of mindfulness, what are the things that you do for yourself as a, as a woman, as a mother, and as a business owner, to feel more grounded and balanced and what has worked for you? I, um, this idea of balance, it's such an incredible question because actually we only know when we're in balance, when we allow ourselves to wobble. So it's definitely feeling all the feels, going with the highs, going with the lows. And then you have this sense of when it, you know, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm just feeling like I can cope with it all. It is a lot trying to do it all. And so, of course, you can't do it all, all of the time. You have to prioritize some things. And sometimes I'm prioritizing work. Sometimes I'm prioritizing my children and my family. Sometimes I'm prioritizing me. And that may be multiple times throughout one day. And so then I think uh, just try not to get guilty, feel guilty about neglecting any one point. Actually, I have to say, I'm really have got good at that. I have really got good at that. That's quite, give myself a little pat on the back. Because <laughs> I think, oh, congratulations. If I, if, I, if I think on that, I'm like, oh yes, you haven't had that guilt thing for a long time. Mm. So that's good. And I used to, as we all do, you know, I've stood up, I stood backstage and suddenly just burst into tears. Like, why are you crying? I was like, I just thought about my child. Hadn't thought about them like in the past 48 hours. I literally just remembered I had a child. Oh my God, what an awful, evil mother I am. Clearly the pits, because I didn't even remember that I had a child. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. That's the entrepreneur. Yeah. 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 And the dancer and the choreographer. And I was joking with one of my collaborators that we all have a multitude of personalities and beings inside of us. And just, um, we just need to remember to let them talk to each other, make sure we give each other time and not let them just be in conflict yelling at each other. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Making, knowing how to allow yourself to have different priorities at different times of the day. And, and not worry that they don't make sense. We just spend a lot of time beating ourselves up about things because there is some ideal, what we think is an ideal or a should, or it, it should look like some way. And it's, that, that isn't the case. You just do you. You do it how you want to do it. And so whatever works for you in the way that it works for you, then that's the right way. No one really can tell you, anything different because it's your journey and it's your path and it's going to feel right to you and really if it feels right to you then what does it matter thank you a great chat <laughs> all right so 
This is one of my favorite questions because it's quite complicated for most people. So I've changed it a little bit. Initially, it was, what's your favorite word? What is your favorite word? One that you could tattoo on yourself, you know, hypothetically, <laughs> for a period of time. What is a word that you could live with on your skin? Well, Anne, obviously it's going to have to be breathe. Uh, <laughs> oh, it could have been movement, sorry, or emotion. Just no. So it's breathe because breathe to me also spells the whole story. Balance, reset, energize, activate, transform, heal, exhale. That's the circle. That's the cycle. It's such a reminder for so many things for me. So, um, yeah, I could have breathe. I have got no tattoos and I'm not planning on getting any. (laughs) Not suggesting (laughs) you would. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Now, this next one is even harder for most people. What song best represents you? (laughs) Sounds of Blackness Optimistic. Oh, that's such a good one. (laughs) What is a secret superpower that you have? It's not very secret, but my breath. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite sound? I like so many sounds. I love the sound of the water. Mm. I love the sound of birdsong. I love the sound of om. Yeah. These are great ones. I'm not loving the sound of, (laughs) there's a pigeon cooing outside my window. (laughs) And I keep on muting my microphone because it's like, I'm like, I'm not going to feed you. Stop calling me. (laughs) What is a favorite book that you can share with us? I'm going to say The Body Keeps the Score. I think that was seminal for me. Mm. And where is someone that you visited that you feel had a real impact on who you are today? Ibiza. Oh, really? I remember when I first went, I think I was 19. That's why it was funny because I bought it and we bought the holiday on teletext because this was pre-internet. Oh my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, so we bought the holiday on teletext and it was an 18 to 30s trip to San Antonio and we got there and we were like, what is this horrendous place? Get me off this island. I mean, we were back at the travel agent trying to get off of Ibiza. Like, what is this place? Why does everybody talk about it? This is so awful. I've never seen anything like it. I want to leave. Me and my friend were like, we want to leave. Okay, so where else could we go? And then we somehow walked around a corner and then I bumped into a friend and then we just got taken off into this island and it was obviously just, it was my, it was my spirit, mm. it was my spirit all, all in once. And then the clubs and me dancing, you know, I, mm. I was a podium dancer. I started off as a club dancer. Oh, I didn't know. Career. Yeah. In London. So I was dancing on podium in nightclubs in London when I was 15. And so in Ibiza with the music and these clubs and, the way I would dance and it was just all so free. I was like, yeah, this place. That's awesome. Here's my favorite question of all. What brings you happiness? Oh, do you know what? Like myself, I really can just, I'm just really quite content with myself. (laughs) Lots of things bring me happiness, you know? Yeah, of course. I love to dance. I love music. I love the sunshine. Being on the beach, 
my family, my friends, all these things. But I'm also really just happy with being on my own. I can mooch around just like I love being in my house on my own. And it's a rarity. And I love it. I love it when I'm just here home alone. Just like, I love it. <laughs> that sounds like such a gift. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Aisha, thank you so much for all your time. It was such an enlightening, personal and just deeply enriching conversation for me. It was great. It was lovely, lovely, lovely. And what a connection. I said to Paolo this morning, I was like, I would do a podcast today with Anne. He was like, Anne who? I was like, <laughs> you remember Anne? Lupita, and he was like, what? What's it on? Shoes. <laughs> no, she's not afraid. She's it's on mindfulness. She was like, "Oh my god, all of you, all of you, you're off." Dude. I said, "Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that, there's, a, there's another way." That doesn't mean I don't love my shoes, huh? So Absolutely. I just, I just don't feel like I need to have conversations about them anymore. It's also less fun for people because exactly. they can't see my feet in the podcast. So what can I say? <laughs> Although I still take good shoe fees on of Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for everything. So if people would like to follow you and discover your work or perhaps find out more about your company and about Breathe, where can they find you? Absolutely. Well, my Instagram is Aisha McKenzie, A-I-C-H-A-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E, just straight up like that. The Breathe and um, Program workshop, Sunday classes, events, and of course the Breathe Mist, which is our essential oil blend that goes together with your breathwork practice. It's really beautiful. That can all be found at Breathe by AMCK, same the website and the, and the social media. And our agency and you know, my wonderful talent is all under AMCK. So AMCK Dance, AMCK Models, and AMCK.io, which is our newest venture into a web three space that's really exciting okay that's for another conversation next yes. time so i can also <laughs> I can spend some time discovering it too because it sounds really cool aisha thank you for everything and hopefully we get to connect again soon and perhaps even in person i would love that i would definitely love that either dancing or near a beach would be like in my ideal future <laughs> dancing on a beach that's what we will do and thank you so much it's just been a, such a lovely morning to spend with thank you thank you so much thanks again to Aisha for being my guest on the show today as always you can find the relevant links of what we talked about in the show notes so friends and listeners thanks again for joining me if you'd like to hear more you can subscribe to the show on whatever is your preferred platform and if you want to connect Get in touch with me at Anvi on Twitter, Anne Mulatalo on LinkedIn, and at underscore out of the clouds on Instagram, where I also share daily musings about mindfulness. You can find all episodes of the podcast and more as well on anvimulatalo.com. If you don't know how to spell it, it's also in the show notes. And to get regular news in your inbox, I invite you to subscribe to my monthly newsletter. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Out of the Clouds and I hope that you will join me again next time. Until then, be well, be safe and take care.